Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everybody. Today, you get to hear the second part of my conversation with Jacob. Jacob is a socialist community organizer living in Philadelphia, and he helps run the Community Action Relief Project, CARP, or CARP, the mutual aid organization committed to sharing resources and redistributing wealth throughout the Kensington neighborhood and broader Philadelphia. CARP distributes food, hygiene supplies, safe drug use kits, and literature, and hosts political reading groups while building relationships with groups in the neighborhood, fighting for the empowerment of houseless people and sex workers. He also creates poetry, comedy, and ASMR videos. And today, he is going to continue the conversation about an organization that he was in for quite some time called the PSL, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, where, as he describes it, there is his own and others' documentation of corruption, institutional bigotry, and that it is a high-control group that has cult-like behavior. And it's important to know that this can happen within organizations that say that they are trying to foster people's liberation. In fact, that's in the title. But once you get involved, as Jacob talks about, your liberation, your freedom, suddenly gets pulled away from you without really your knowledge or without your consent. Here is the continuation of my conversation with Jacob. So go ahead. So I'm curious just to hear about the story that you were going to share. Yeah. So I'll get into the story. There was a member who came from New York City to my branch just a few months after I joined. He was a very devoted and very charismatic member, and everyone liked him. And he ended up being very influential in the branch and its direction and ended up spearheading a lot of programs, etc. First time I met him was at a barbecue we held for the community in Norris Square. Uh, which is the neighborhood that we were in. And he brought his girlfriend and his girlfriend and I hit it off as friends. You know, I'm a gay guy. She liked drag race and she was just very, you know, I, we became friends. And um, I remember we were at a, we were running a bubble blowing station for kids. So we were there like blowing bubbles and giving these four-year-olds and cleaning up messes. I don't know. It was great. So you know, I met her and we became friends and we would, it wasn't, we didn't spend a lot of time together. I'm just not whatever, but we, we talked a lot online and um, we just admired each other. She was not a member of the party. She was his girlfriend of several years and we were acquainted and she was respectful to me. She was loyal. We just mutually expressed our respect for each other. And so, you know, uh, that goes on. The pandemic comes. I'm not seeing anyone. This is 2020. I finally start going back out when the Black Lives Matter protests hit in June 2020. 
you know, that was just a very active time. And the member, the male member, I'm going to call him S, the letter S. He was very visible in that. And he and I were also cool with each other. He, he liked me. He thought I was funny. Everyone in the branch thought I was a really funny person. They liked me. Yeah, he was very visible during that. I did not see a lot of his girlfriend, who I'll call the letter G. I guess she was told to stay in and not go to the protest for quote unquote safety reasons. And during this time, this is not gossip, by the way. People started suspecting that he was having, he was like 30, 30 or 31, and they started suspecting he was having a romantic affair with um, a new, very talented, very talented, very devoted, uh, very charismatic, you know, just I, I liked her. I'm not bad mouthing her, but people started, and she was uh, 23 and she was a candidate. They started to suspect that and conveniently she was not at the you know his girlfriend was not at any of the protests so um they break up he and his girlfriend in early july and i'm very sad about this and she tells me she's moving back home and you know she's very sad and then a week later she dms me and says i'm gonna call the, the member i mentioned maya i caught s and maya together she walked and this was about a week after their breakup and she walked past Maya's house and saw them naked together. And um, she immediately told me that the previous day he had, from any reasonable interpretation of what she told me, date raped her. It was the sort of situation where he asks her over and over for sex until she finally lets him. So she told me that very night. And this is where my indoctrination comes in is immediately I'm very cautious with what I say to her. I express sympathy in the most minimal words and I ask for more details on the situation. And I'm like, you know, I, I said, I made some maybe gestures of, but yeah, I, I was, because in my mind, if I start just empathizing with her and believing her saying too much, I'm breaking party discipline because I'm, I'm validating an accusation against a fellow member. A lot of people leave groups like this feeling very guilty that they weren't able to be the kind of friend that they really wanted to be. They weren't able to follow their conscience. They felt so handicapped by the group because they were so conflicted in those moments where it should have been just a natural response that was led by your heart, by your conscience. But instead, there was all this other interference and conflict. And that's another, when we talk about red flags, another red flag is if you're involved in something that is keeping you from being able to naturally follow what your conscience is telling you is right, then you have to wonder why that is and what's wrong with the organization that it's keeping you from showing your, your automatic humanity. My thinking at the time was like, if this is a problem, I'm going to take it up internally because that's discipline. I'm going to bring my principle to critique to the leaders. The few days after she told me, I didn't realize this was going to involve the party in any official level. I thought this sucks. Like I already was sad that this was happening. And at the time I still respected him. I was like, I was sad to hear this about him and that, you know, but then my friends, I'll call him David, who was in the party, reported him because she was talking to him too. The steering committee starts an investigation. 
there are guidelines for investigations in the party constitution. So they start investigating it and they ask David for screenshots of all his text messages and Instagram DMs with her. I reached out voluntarily when I find out, when I found out that David reported and I provided screenshots of that text conversation I had with her in addition to other ones that ensued that followed. So they had what I said and they went on to claim that the charge that was the sole charge that was being brought against S was that he was unethically sleeping with a, a eight years younger candidate member. That was what they said was the accusation, not sexual assault, which I provided them. You know, if, if, if that wasn't the charge that David mentioned, that was right there in my, my screenshot. So anyway, about a week later, I see David is removed from our group chats. I just see David left. And I was like, and I, and I texted him and he was like, I got suspended, LOL. I was like, what? Is this really fucking happening? But anyway, the steering committee sa says that he was, um, they suspected that he was passing information along to G that would impede the investigation. It would, it would erode her trust in the investigation and her ability to participate. For more context, G began a manic episode at this point. And like, as a bipolar per person, who, the f who wouldn't? And so G became... She was sending a lot of text messages to me and stuff and very angry. And she wasn't delusional. She was just very angry. And, you know, so I'm like, clearly something's wrong mentally. Like, clearly she is not okay. And who can blame her? And I guess they're having trouble getting her to participate in the investigation. She doesn't trust them. And they, around that time, they hand off the investigation to the National Central Committee. They form an investigative committee. And so she knows someone on that investigative committee who is a friend of hers and S's. She knows someone on that investigation who is S's friend. And for more context, S is, S is highly respected by the members of the Central Committee. They all know who he is. They all have him doing special projects. I think he was friends with another one of them, Richard Becker. There's, there are three prominent members, Brian Becker, who hosted a radio show, his brother, Richard Becker. And then Brian's son, Ben Becker, who's on the Central Committee and the Investigative Committee. You know, these most visible members, all brothers. And Richard Becker is married to uh, Gloria Lariva, our most, you know, the unassailable Gloria Lariva. Anyway, David was removed from all group chats immediately and suspended. And I noticed that S was not removed from any group chats. He was still in their group chats. I guess that there were prohibitions on him speaking to members. It's not clear, uh, at least about party mem um, things. And I think socially, he was not supposed to be hanging out with people. But um, now David is undergoing a disciplinary process. And David has to meet with the Central Committee and, and, and make his case and, um, and explain what happened and he was in the middle of moving on a certain day and they've been demanding, like, send these messages now. And they got angry at him that he wasn't. And anyway, David waits three weeks. And by the beginning of September, he hasn't heard anything. He emails the central committee, don't reply, and he quits. And he resigns publicly and releases a statement, which is out there publicly. When I found out that David was suspended, I reached out to the central committee and said, hey, I was also part of this. And I would be happy to give you any more information or context. And I met with them and I explained the situation and they ended up, of course, 
asking me a lot about G, the accuser, and my interactions with her. And um, I think it's clear these are retaliatory charges against David. A few days after he resigns, uh, Walter, the most influential member of our branch in the uh, uh, steering committee, comes to our meeting and says, yeah, I saw that, that you might have noticed there's a public statement going on, uh, going around online. It's a bunch of lies. And they start explaining the situation and they start immediately saying that G, the accuser, was um, harassing the person that S had cheated on her with. Her. And in her manic episode, she did send a lot of nasty text messages to her and some other members, um, which didn't use any racial epithets or anything, but made implications that she, you know, she was simply tokenized, whatever. Um, and this was ammunition for them. They said, yeah, the accuser was saying a lot of things and a lot of them were very anti-Black, you know? So, you know, this is supposed, this investigation had not concluded for either of them. And for the integrity of any investigation, you don't show up and start telling, you know, giving the definitive account of what happened, but they have this opportunity to erode sympathy for the accuser. And I got so angry, I hung up on the call and I was fuming. And I was, I wrote an email to the central committee and I listed everything that I thought was messed up. I, I listed Tamor as his good friend being on the steering committee. I listed that Tamor was hanging out with S and other party members in the park, drinking beers, you know, during this, at, you know, one time during this period, you know, I explained what was, and they said, we've, you know, received these. Thank you. No response ever. September 20th or so they release the um, results of the investigation against both. But before they do so, they give a statement on suspicious activity on the part of G, the accuser. She had moved to a different city and I had been talking to her. It wasn't a complete secret and she explained the reasons. She moved to the new city because her family was moving there and she had her family to live with. Like she wanted to be with her family. So she moved to this new city and it just so happened that during the Black Lives Matter stuff that was happening in every major city in the country, Three members of PSL had been arrested and were facing ridiculous charges, and thank God they didn't get imprisoned for 25 years like they could have been. But they said it was suspicious activity that she moved to this new city and started warning the left about PSL and her former abuser, S. And one of the things they cited was that a member of PSL in Denver had seen her on Tinder. She showed up on Tinder. like. God forbid someone moved to a new city and tried dating, you know? And they, I mean, the reason apparently this was such a big deal to them was that um, she said she was in hiding or whatever. And, I, and, and like, she might've used that language, but basically she didn't want PSL or S to know that she was living there. She wanted to be left alone and she wanted to be safe. Anyway, they give this statement on suspicious activity. And the implication is that she is working with federal agents or police or something as uh, an informant or a snitch or, you know, trying to get people arrested. That's the implication because that's another part of the culture of PSL that I didn't mention is the reason we're not allowed to share information and stuff like that is it's a quote unquote security concern. And in the most anal and meticulous ways, this thing will be, you know, but it's a security concern because it gives the state ammunition and knowledge about the insides of the organization. 
Yeah. I'm, you know, the security concern idea, it's, you know, so many of these things that I hear about, it's just different language, you know, for different groups, because there's always some justification, some reason, usually a fear-based reason for people to not share what's happening in the group, but really ultimately in retrospect, you know, why they don't want people to know. It's not a security concern per se. Uh, It's, really about the future of the group, because the more light that is shed on what's happening behind closed doors, the less it's going to probably be around. So here she's off just trying to have a life and they're not leaving her alone. Yeah. And then they read the results of S's investigation. They do not believe a sexual assault happened. They suspend him for three months for indiscretions in his personal life that brought harm to the party. So I brought up criticisms of that too. I was very angry and I had trouble articulating myself. I was like, I was involved in this. I went in on everyone. And there's the more like the rank and file members who are more naive raising their hands and being, and multiple people rose their hands to say, I think that this situation is just a great example of, you know, why we have a process like this. And I'm so proud of you comrades for handling this so well, you know, everyone is raising their hands like this, you know, and in word, the party says, you know, critique is, is an essential part of Marxism, but there is no critique. It's self-congratulatory, you know? Yeah, so that happens. And around this time, G starts a Twitter account and she starts, she starts a campaign to try to hold the party accountable. We who were getting disillusioned with the party secretly started a Twitter group chat to just like follow it and we didn't tell anyone. So this is when I started being a, a bad boy. And I was like, you know, we watched it and we didn't think it was practically a good idea. We thought we didn't think it was helping her cause not any fault of hers that nobody was listening. And clearly her mental health was causing her to be very emotional and very grandiose and everything. And and she did occasionally kind of uh, harass members of the party or, you know, tweet, tweet vitriol at them. I mean, That was another one of the things that they constantly cited against her was that she harassed black women in the party. She was because this young woman that uh, S cheated with is a young black woman. And, you know, and and it's anti-black harassment. It it is unsafe. And also that she during the height of her first manic episode, she said she was going to call the DHS on on S and the party, you know, the Department of Homeland Security. And um that was very uncharacteristic of her and, and very frowned upon on the left. And that was more ammunition. That was more ammunition against her. She must be working with cops. You know, she threatened to bring state repression against us. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry to be so nonlinear, but I wanted to mention that I bought into this thing about threatening to call the police. That's taboo on the left. That's a no-no. You don't, you know, because there is a history of, you know, like the assassination of Fred Hampton and Intel Pro and obviously police brutality against organizers. You just don't do that. But I would buy into that rhetoric. That was another one of the things where I didn't realize they were just using that as ammunition, put it in perspective. And they were using it so that even I, even her friend would not empathize with her. And I look back on it and um, my friend made this point to me and I was said like, I, obviously it's very wrong for her to have done that. And my friend was like, was it wrong? Like, isn't it rational if a woman is being ganged up on by her abuser and his entire social network and you have nowhere else to go isn't it kind of rational for a woman to go to the state normal people like that's just kind of 
common things that you do like you you might be oppressed by the police but yeah in certain situations it's for the police handle it you know go to the cops go to you know and it just shows how warped our thinking was like we can't relate to normal people yet we're supposed to be like in tune with the masses and i want to mention that it was rational she was afraid of getting attacked by the state because s was very involved and very visible in this and s had been using her amazon account to order military training manuals in bulk for some security program he was i you know and, and i don't care if people know that because if you're if you're a leftist org uh you need to get your shit together and do security and i'm sorry but you never told anyone the context for that so now everyone knows so this is the breaking point on december 14th 2020 psl national releases a statement with g had been using a moniker with her full legal name explain like um, denouncing her, accusing her, you know, uh, written with a statement written by Maya, painting her this entire situation as her being an anti-Black harasser threatening to call the police on people with her legal name. And Walter comes into our group chats, among others, and says, comrades, we need you, if you have a Twitter, to go on Twitter and like this tweet to boost it in her replies and show support. So this thing gets dozens of likes. and then members kind of go rogue and they all just start viewing vitriol at her and and saying they all start harassing her and and no one was told to go harass her but it was certainly enabled no one stopped them no one was condemned everyone starts doing these public defenses of the party and it gets to the point where g g says i'm begging you to take the statement down it shows it is it comes up on the second page of google results when you search my names I'm suicidal, I'm relapsing, I am begging. I will delete everything I've ever said about PSL. I will even retract the Title IX case I filed with S's employer. And then she deletes her account and PSL had the humanity to delete their statement. The tweet is still up, but the statement is deleted. And so I was so enraged. I and these other members were so enraged and so many other members, I just did, I just sat down and I started those concerns I wrote to the Central Committee, I started writing them out in detail, painstaking detail with direct quotes, with screenshots, with the most detailed memories I had with dates, you know, everything I thought was unethical about to handle that situation, because I thought there's no way with all this evidence of this whole process being unethical and morally terrible that they won't listen, you know, because at that time, I still believe these are critical thinkers, you know. And then a, a friend of mine in Chicago, so I'm talking to some members from Chicago who are pissed off and they themselves dealt with a lot of terrible high control group stuff. Some of them had been kicked out for weird reasons. They, they start writing a statement. I include mine in their statement. Um, National catches wind of it. They get a copy. And I wake up Sunday morning of uh, December 20th. We had our internal meetings on Sundays. And I wake up and there's a text message from a member of the steering committee. And uh, I want to read it verbatim. The message says, hey, comrade, we're very concerned about your public liking of a tweet attacking the party's statement and your own tweets showing your rejection of it. Today at 1 p.m., there's a meeting between members of the Central Committee Investigative Committee and a few other members who have expressed similar sentiments. We need you to join that meeting instead of the internal. It is an opportunity to talk more about these sentiments. So I had one hour. I got this at around noon when the internal was going to start. So I had one hour to prepare for a meeting with 
Gloria Lariva, of all people, you know, our presidential candidate, the most heroized person in the party, Ben Becker, and another member who had been investigating. So I, um, my friend B, who had also raised concerns, and um, a woman from the Chicago branch, and uh, another friend of mine, who wrote, the friend who wrote the other statement that I included mine in, we all had to meet with them. And they start out guilting us like this has been so hard for us whatever and they make some weird allusion to like Mao Zedong being very upset and it's this way of saying like you know I'm sure Mao Zedong was very upset but you know they they have to we have to talk to each other and share our emotions as comrades so that's why we're doing this face-to-face instead of a quote-unquote literary struggle and by that they meant that that they weren't going to address any of this document in writing they didn't, this couldn't be a literary struggle. We need to talk to each other as people. And so what ensues is that these emotional appeals at the beginning, and I get angry at him and I'm like, there is content to this. I wrote it down, point to the page, please tell me this is wrong. Tell me you're going to fix this. And they won't. And I got angry. Things get very heated and they ask us point blank. What would you have decided? Was this a rape or not? So then several of us, have to disclose our own rapes. And just because that's like, I was raped and this is exactly how it went. And I myself was in an abusive relationship in high school where I was under pressure to have sex all the time. And I know how that works. It's not black and white. And I'm just embarrassed that a party that calls themselves feminists they have to understand this. And this was just, this was our perspective. And so what a traumatizing thing to be asked point blank about, you know, as a rape survivor, well, do you, uh, do you, uh, you know, uh, accept or deny that this happened, you know? And it gets heated and it, it gets to a point where Gloria Lariva says, you need to either stand behind this or say that you reject it. There's no wishy-washy, I see why you believe this, whatever. It was basically... You're either going to stand behind us now or you're going to quit. And um, a trans woman who was on the call who experienced transphobia on the branch mentions in passing, like, I don't like a cis woman, cisgender speaking to me this way. And Gloria has an outburst. And she says, did you just say cis in reference to me? Because I resent that as a um, characterization of who I am. I am a Latina woman. I wrote this down verbatim, just so you know. You know, and it was like, you know, it was this constant rhetorical move of, Criticism equals racism, despite that the core of this thing was a white man being accused of raping a Chicana woman. Long story short, I hung up. That was the point where I said, I don't have to be here. I don't have to do this. I'm going to go drink a glass of water, which I had forgotten to do because I was under so much stress. So I, I just fucking hung up. I went and got a glass of water. I smoked a cigarette and I was like, fuck. Like, and then I got, (laughs) sorry, I was just like, I felt so free. I was like, you can just hang up. And um, I got removed from all the group chats an hour later. The next morning, I tweeted that message that I got sent where I was in trouble for liking a tweet that was critical. And I went viral. As far as left Twitter goes, I got about a thousand retweets. And it was just indicative that people and people started replying like, this is insane. Like, what kind of group were you in? And I hadn't even questioned that myself. It was like the frog in boiling water, you know? I took that opportunity to go viral, to publicly release our statement. And 
it's a long story from there. Long story short, they begin a purge. And anyone suspected of dissent is just kicked out. Anyone who asks questions is kicked out right before meetings, so they don't have a chance to raise anything. Meetings are held where no questions are taken, and they read out a brief statement. And then um, members start telling lies about me. And it's like, I could go into detail about all the lies, but you know how this story goes. I'm online. I'm terminally online. I'm uh, possibly, I'm, I'm doing COINTELPRO, you know? Wow, right. The lies, of course, are random and not random in these situations. They are made up, of course, to defame the person. They also are usually crafted because they know it's going to push your button. You're going to be accused of the very thing that you would never do or that you wouldn't, um, that you're against. And, and that's often to kind of poke you to respond or feel like you have to defend it or explain. Yes. And I'm so happy you say that because that's exactly how they're pushing my buttons. I'm going insane. And I start looking cringe because I keep posting about it months later. But sorry. Yeah, I just I hadn't even. Thanks for validating that. Manipulators, they love the game, so they don't want it to be over. If you leave, they want to see if they can't get you back in. They want to see if they can still get you riled up because then they still have power over you. So often the things that they're going to accuse you of, and this is good for everyone to remember, that a manipulator will accuse you of doing the very things that you're against and would never do often. It's also kind of the narcissistic playbook that narcissists will accuse other people of being controlling and abusive and all these other things and selfish, whatever it is that they are and whatever it is that they're doing. But I think that they're wanting to see if you still care about how they feel about you and that you feel like you have to explain yourself. One of the things that I tell people to do, um, and you, you can respond any way you want. Um, what I suggest sometimes is for people to not feel like they're on constantly on the witness stand and they have to keep explaining and saying, no, I didn't, and no, I wouldn't, and you blah, blah, blah. But instead to kind of make a process comment rather than a content comment, a content comment is, you said this about me, it's not true, here's the proof. A process comment has you zoom out. It actually is a way to keep your own self calmer, where you say, okay, look, folks, since I left, <laughs> I've been accused of this and this and this and this and this which are the exact opposite of who I am. And anyone who knows me knows that. So it seems like they just are having a hard time letting me go or they don't like that maybe I'm right about something. So they need to be writer or they're just trying to push my buttons, but I don't play that game and I don't want to play that game anymore. And it shouldn't be a game is too serious for that. So they can keep playing it if they want, but it won't work because I'm going to be stepping away. So, there, you know, there's this whole way of kind of narrating the scene, which is sometimes helpful and helping people see the big picture. And I think if they were not threatened by the fact that you had facts, then they wouldn't be working so hard to defame you. And so in some ways, it's kind of a backhanded compliment to you that they know that what you have could be destructive to them. So they're just trying to be destructive to you. It's so formulaic. It doesn't feel that way in your own life if you haven't been through it before, but it also is so hurtful because this is a group you had devoted so much 
time to and so much devotion to and sacrifice for? And why is it at the end of the day that you're being treated like this? I would like you to be able to talk about how you've been doing since then, kind of the after effects of this. Everyone who'd stayed in the party to pass information on me eventually got purged. So I don't, I'm not in much contact with the party. I, I, they lost about, locally here, they lost about a third of their membership when I left. But how I'm doing is just learning to be proud of myself, thinking back on it and learning to set boundaries and learning to listen to my, myself, learning that I don't need shame to be an activist or an organizer. I can hold myself accountable. I can use my intrinsic motivation. And I do. I, I volunteer on the weekends, um, like I said, with that radical group organizing with houseless and houseless people and sex workers. You know, I hold myself accountable. It's very healthy. It's very, hey, if I can't come this weekend, they're like, oh, no problem. Can anyone else? Like, and I tell myself, I'm going to get up on Saturday morning early because I like doing this. I might want to sleep in, but I'm going to get myself out of bed and I'm going to be proud of that. This process has taught me. It's helped me come to love myself better and come to learn that I do have the right to joy and that my desires and my emotional needs are valid. You know, and I felt embarrassed for a long time because after a few months, it was like, you know, the dust has settled. Like this had a big fallout for them, a huge fallout, which they will deny, but that was very lucky for me. But nonetheless, like, I just felt embarrassed. Like, I just look like I have this grudge, like I'm obsessed, like I can't get over it. Like I'm trying to make this my brand. And, and I've recently just been like, no, I'm still processing this. And I'm still, other people are still learning. And I believe more in the future of the left. Now that I know that these things can be healthy, that discipline can come from within, that like I said, intrinsic motivation that I can, I can use, I can say, why do I care about this? I love that list. I mean, that would be just a wonderful list to even print out all the things that you just mentioned. I think also shame, not having to be involved in, and that there doesn't have to be this external locus of control that you have to somehow defer to and assume that they're somehow right about you or know you better than you know you. And that is a very difficult part when you go down into that kind of thinking to dig yourself out of that. And to be able to say also, like you're saying, because you don't want to adopt their language around you talking about this or having feelings about it. They want you to be fine so that they don't have to look at any kind of hurt that they've caused or damage that they could be causing to people. That is the truth with a lot of people who are abusive towards other people they will get mad at them for crying. Why are you still crying? As opposed to saying, I'm sorry for what I did. So I think it also helps to talk about things because it is a way of processing it. And it's a way of not only gaining support, but gaining insight as you're saying it, but exercising the right to say it because you were sworn to secrecy. And so this is an act of not protest per se, but um, exercising your constitutional right. You know, it shouldn't be that you have to go against a system to exercise your constitutional rights because that says something about the system. So I 
thank you so much for sharing what you shared in your very thoughtful way and knowing that you don't share things lightly, that these are the stories that went right to your heart. They kind of floated to the top. Uh, you know, these need to be talked about. This needs to be known. I think also about the intensity of your experience, especially around this situation, how much time was spent also, and how ineffective a system is uh, where the justice is in-house. And so when someone says, you know, come to talk to like our ethics department or whatever, but it's within our walls, that's never going to go the way you want it to go, but really the way it should go. So again, thank you. And thank you for reaching out and showing too that people sometimes with their best intentions can be taken advantage of and how to watch out for that. And that there are other ways to make a difference in the world where you don't have to compromise so much in order to do it. Yeah, thank you very much. It's, it's been helpful for me too. I really appreciate it. So it was a pleasure. And if anything else comes up, uh, any other stories you want to share, just let me know. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Good to talk to you. One more thing before you go. Happy almost New Year to all those who celebrate the New Year at this time of year. I really, really got a lot out of my conversation with Jacob. You know, when you talk to people initially, and you think this is someone who really thinks about things carefully, someone who I'm going to be able to have really interesting discussion with, someone who will have planned out what he wants to say for all of you so that it comes across with the messages that he wanted to be able to transmit and someone who we're all going to learn from. And I was not at all disappointed. That's exactly what I had imagined. I think Jacob brought up so many issues that it was sort of hard for me to pick one for the outro, for the one more thing before you go. But something that I want to be able to talk about and expand on is this idea of going through a hearing that is a sham. When you are brought into a hearing, when there is kind of a quote unquote trial about something, when there is this sense that someone is really addressing a problem and they're really going to take people's information and then you can give your story and your side of the story and you can bring your evidence. All of that is good if it goes somewhere, if it means something. I remember I had the experience time and time again, and in fact, it happened this year too, where I work in an office building and they give out a questionnaire every year that you're supposed to fill out about all the things that you think are running well in the building and all the things that they need to work on. And this year, I didn't fill it out. I've been in this building for a couple decades, actually. And my office is a, an office I love, and I don't want to lose it, and I don't want to be on bad terms with the management. But at the same time, I just didn't fill it out. And I got a call from the manager who said, I noticed you didn't fill it out. And it always shocks me because even though you don't put your name on it, somehow they know if you filled it out or not. Hmm, it's not really anonymous, is it? But what is important that I said to him that was different was, I will fill it out 
And then you will call me to have a discussion and then nothing will happen. Nothing will be different because the same things that were a problem last year and the year before and the year before and the decade before are still a problem and nothing's been resolved. But you as a management company feel that you have done your due diligence by having people fill this out. And then you can say, see, we care. And we've collected all the data. And thank you so much. And then I'm probably going to get a $5 Starbucks gift card to thank me so that I might also forget that nothing comes of this. So I said, I don't want the $5 gift card. I don't want to fill it out. But I will if in our discussion you make a promise to me that the things that need to be fixed will be fixed. And suddenly he didn't have time to talk. His schedule was busy and mm, the times that I offered wouldn't work for him. And it just was a perfect kind of diagnostic tool about how he thought or he was told to do what he was told to do. And the people in the building really thought they were being listened to. But what matters next is what matters so much. What comes of it? So often we see with politicians where they're brought up on charges and then nothing happens. And you think that guy or that woman is going down. You might be happy about it. You might be sad about it. But it's always shocking when then nothing happens. And you think, how is that possible? And then you realize how much of it is theater. How much of it is under the guise of wanting to do the right thing and caring. So if you find that somebody says, I've heard your complaint or I've seen what's happened to you and I think we need to come together and I think we need to hear your story. Feel free if you want to tell your story, but know that that's just the beginning. That doesn't mean they're going to do what you would do if someone told you that story where you would say, oh, wow, we need to do something about it. Just know that that might make them feel like they can tick that box and be done. And so when you're done telling your story, say, now what? The now what? is the most important part. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Indoctrination Podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore Indoctrination. We love hearing from you, too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.